0: Because our children, if you don't give them knowledge, they don't know nothing about themselves. We should choose a way to teach them, to learn, to talk with them. They should know where they are coming from.
1: Ratil, Asher, Adurina, Larsa, Benil, Ilbra, Narse, Assyria, Akad, Erio, Declat, Shamiram, Kiana, Atalia, Nisha, Ramina, Ninus, Arbella, Enlil, Atta, Sergun, Ninue, Lilia, Naharin, Inanna, Ishtar, Remsen, Edde, Raman, and on and on and on. Welcome everybody to episode 187 of the Assyrian Podcast. I am your host, Edessa, and for this episode, I wanted to cover a topic that has been on my mind for some time, the case for Assyrian names. Like with many things in life, we can't teach or think of something if we don't know, and this too goes for Assyrian names. I've heard more times than not that people want to name their kids Assyrian names, but don't know what to name them or where to search, or don't want to name them an Assyrian name because they can be challenging to pronounce. May this episode offer some resources to you as well as share perspectives from those who've made it a part of their mission to create resources around Assyrian names. You'll get to hear from different people on initiatives that have been created to serve as resources for those interested in finding a name for their child, nephew, business, etc. You'll also get to hear how names given to Assyrians have evolved and continue to evolve with time. It goes without saying that this episode isn't to make you feel guilty if you don't have an Assyrian name or to make you feel shameful if you didn't or don't name your child or children Assyrian names. This episode is simply a perspective to share on a topic I am passionate about and that is the importance of Assyrian names. I grew up with a unique Assyrian name and it has always initiated questions about its meaning and thus opened up the conversation about who Assyrians are. When my husband Asher and I had our daughter three years ago, it wasn't a question of if we were going to name her an Assyrian name, but rather, what would that name be? We chose Enuma Elish, which is the name of the Mesopotamian creation story. Which by the way, did you know Assyrians had their own creation story prior to the book of Genesis? From a historical perspective, I think that's pretty cool. As we also enter a new chapter of a second child on the way, this topic has resurfaced for us on the many possibilities of names for our next baby. Before we get into the interview, I just want to wish all of our listeners a Happy Assyrian New Year. I wish you a year filled with prosperity and good health. In the same way that we think of resolutions for the start of the year, I would like to challenge you to think of a resolution for the start of this Assyrian New Year, and why not make it a challenge of thinking about one way you will contribute to the Assyrian nation this year. Our nation moves forward when its people put in the effort to move it forward, so let's make moves! And with that, I hope you enjoy this episode 187. The first person you'll hear from is my father, Peter Kriakos, who has a wealth of Assyrian knowledge and does some framing for us on the evolution of names with context to the Assyrians during the 19th and 20th century. We'll get to hear about how names were influenced and chosen. So, Dad, you grew up in a family where all 12 siblings had biblical names, including yourself. Was it common for Assyrians in Iraq during that time to have Christian names, let's say over Assyrian names?
2: To shed a clear light on this, we have to go back a little bit in the history of Assyrian nation and see what roles the names of people played and how they came about involving in our lives. So, historically speaking, from the times of Christ and how Christianity started, biblical names were very easy because you would hear them literally every Sunday in the church. So, it was very easy for you to duplicate them. And they were, where we're talking about biblical, they more pertain to the Old Testament. And then came Christ, and then with it came the apostles. And then the saints. So, a lot of these over time got involved in naming of people. For example, the saints like Saint George, Margivergis, Matmaryam, Mar Sergis, Marbacus, Marshalita, and they were Raban Hormuz, and they were a giant in, in the literature of the Church of the East. So, for example, if you're uh, patron saint happened to be Marzaya, probably half of your village will be children, will be called, especially males, will be called Marzaya. So it was very common practice. And this dragged on. Fast forward, this happened all the way almost to 1552. That's where the Church of the East split, and part of it followed the Roman Catholic faith. And that's where then all of a sudden the priests and the Jesuits or otherwise came to to the Middle East and tried to obviously convert them into Catholicism. And with it, there were a lot of teachings and books that brought with them and also names of their saints too. So all of a sudden, because it's a Roman uh, belief, then all of a sudden there was uh, uh, Santa Maria. There are so many saints in their church. And just to emulate them, a lot of Assyrians start using their names in churches and also applying to their baptized children. So that's how it started the idea of bringing the foreign non-Assyrian names into Assyrian uh, naming. And then until about early in 19th century, when discoveries of Assyrians artifacts and and stuff that was found in North Iraq and in the Nineveh area by Henry Laird and then assisted by Hormuz Rassam, then all of a sudden they, they found all these ancient things that belonged to Assyrians and immediately rushed them to England and they started to decipher them. And then all of a sudden some names we saw in there. And these are the names that very, you know, uh, some of them are very difficult to pronounce, but still nonetheless, some people do like uh, Adad-Nirari or Adad-Sin or the tiglath or Ashurbanipal. They were long names, you know, but that started to, to surface out, but it introduced the names to the Western world, but still to the Assyrians, we were totally isolated from that. And then in about 1828, when the first missionaries from French, French missionaries came to Salamas in Iran, Salamas, and then uh, uh, Khosrab especially, and then all of a sudden, you would ask, "What's your name?" Damar, Anna, Jeanine, Anna, Anna, even Jacques, Anna, even Josephine, a G, G, a French came about, and that's how a lot of names in Assyrian started to evolve from that. And not too long after that, about four or five years later, then American missionaries went to Urmia. and then all of a sudden, "What's your name?" My name is James, Charles, uh, Elizabeth, and then we try to to use their names you know that was kind of step forward and still mind you there were still no books written assyrians you know and then little by little then the first publication came actually the first assyrian publication came about when missionaries start to unify the dialect of all assyrians they were so difficult to come up with a common language that they could use so they can write a bible in that language or in that uh, dialect. Uh, so, uh, for example, Gilway Abtaver Hia Lacha Tiarae from Tiaryu Abtaver Shalacha Shalbeisha Telbeta. After Gilway Abtaver Xte Hia or Mujtaver Abtaver Tel So it was really kind of like almost three distinct languages, not only dialect. So it was very tough for these missionaries to kind of work around and find the common denominator that can bring something together that they can use as a concrete, solid language representing Assyrians and using that as a Bible source to write their literature. So they did that and they did that successfully. That's why in Iran, most Assyrians, regardless of where your origin is, whether you're from the mountains Hakari mountains or plain of Urbi or or uh, you know southern parts of uh, Iran still their language the dialect is about the same everybody understands everybody else but with it came the names of 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 a western world so fast forward again all the way all of a sudden like we started having publications in Assyrian and because we had access to printing letters And so all of a sudden some writers were good authors, mentioning some names, Assyrian names. So this is all kind of like mixed up as we start mixing up with other cultures. So until 1958, when in Iraq itself now, I'm gonna be focusing because that's where I'm from. Until 1958, the royal family, royalty was, was Kingdom of Iraq obviously under auspices of uh, British Empire. So Assyrians were left alone. They cared less because British people always kind of kept an eye on Assyrians. So they said, don't worry about them. They are they are under our control. And then a revolution took place and then all of a sudden monarchy left and then you have Republic of Iraq comes about. And then that with it, because British people had left Iraq, their mandate had terminated at, in 1955. So, all of a sudden, there were issues with security of the country. See, I'm going little by little, then I'm going to lead you to something really important. So, all of a sudden, you had Shiites in the southern part of Iraq, loyal to Iran. You had Sunnis in the middle the middle. And then you had, in, in North, you had Kurdish primarily, and then also Turks, and then Assyrians and Yazidis. Okay, so these were the minorities in Iraq. By the way, prior to that, for a long time, there was no Iraq. It was just basically segments of Iraq until, until what was it, 1922, Saiz people came about. And then that's where they came border, gave borders to Iraq. So Iraq has been, you know, a really cradle of civilization, mainly because you have these two rich rivers in there and fertile land and uh, history, weather, everything was great. So what happens, a lot of people try to take advantage of Iraq, especially neighboring country. Iran tried. Turkey did the same thing. Syria did the same thing. Their eyes were always... On Iraq. So Iraqis started to become really aware of that and then heighten the security of the country and started to really implement a program of disseminating their spies, the agents that were working for them to infiltrate into the public and see what people are up to and what they're trying to do in, in case of wanting to topple the government. So even relatives, I remember some relatives, I mean, really my cousins, they were assigned to come and be at our house at night because our house at, at, uh, in Iraq at night would gather at least 40, 50 of our relatives and spend three, four hours together. They always just wanted to know what what are these people talking about? And, you know, old people at that time, they were all, you know, I'm talking about 70, 80, 90 years old. What would they talk? What politics? You know, we were not into politics. But still, to the government, it was really important to know that they're not doing anything that is illegal. So now fast forward that to my family in particular, 12 children, eight boys, four girls, starting with my father named David biblical name king david or, or or prophet david why because again we go to church every sunday and that's what we hear about almost half of the liturgy of the of the church of the east belongs to book of psalms you know written by david and then when his first child came about he named him Abishalim, or which is absalom which was king david's eldest son and then Ishiah, prophet isaiah and then is a was his father's name, Kuryakos. And then Canon was his grandfather, which in Assyrians, we call it family name, really. Or family name should be Canon, not Kuryakos. But anyways, you couldn't pressure the, the passport agency to, to do that. In there, it's like, what's your father's name? What's your grandfather? The grandfather's name is automatically family name. You could not go beyond that. And then came down to me, Patros Peter, the apostle, and then Paul, and then, you know, Emmanuel. And when it came to Edward, my youngest brother, he was the only one that had taken a, a Western name. And because at that time we were very heavily... Involved with the English people and King Edward during my father's time was a very important figure, so people liked him because he only stayed in power for just a little brief time and he left his throne, you know. So everybody liked him, so Edward was the given name. And then my sisters, starting with again, biblical name Leah, Leah, uh, which was first wife of Jacob, and then uh, Rachel. And then Patty, third sister, is, is my grandmother, my father's mother's side. And then you have the youngest sister, which is Sarah, which is Sarah, wife of Abraham. That's where almost, almost like cut off time was almost, I want to say 1960. All of a sudden, after 1960, we start having an explosion of other names coming into the Assyrian community. And primarily either they were American names because then all of a sudden movies were coming to Iraq and played out. And then television came about. And so we were introduced to the Western world. And naturally, when you're inferior, you always like to look at the superior. Wanted to to do what Americans and English people are doing. So that's how we started naming our children Western names. And started with my... Eldest brother, Avishalam Absalom, he had two boys, two girls, Charles, James, Juliana, and Indiana, all non-Assyrian names. And then next one was Ronnie and Pamela, and on and on and on. When it came to my part, just before I got into it and having children, my younger brother, Paul, had married before me, and he had a first child, and we were living together at that time. So he and his wife asked me, like, if I could select the name. So that's where, at that time, book of my father-in-law, uh, Clarence Bitschumun, also known as Raman Bitschumun, was already in circulation, and it was you could find it er- everywhere. And that's where I went in there, and I picked his name, and his name I picked at the time was Dimel. Dimel. Dimel, Yani Dimit Alaha, the blood of God. When it came to my time... Since I was a deacon, ordained deacon in Church of the East, as of today, forty-six years, and had witnessed close to about three thousand children baptized from Chicago to here in California, I saw what kind of names were picked by parents to their children. I had pretty much a good idea how to go about solving the issue. That since we have the privilege of using two names in America as a first name. Then I decided I'm going to do justice by selecting a name that will be a Syrian name and also one biblical name. So that's why. For a first name and a middle name. First, first and middle, yeah. And that's why I kind of felt like this is fair. So that's where the, the names came about.
1: In 1960, when you said that there started to be an influx of other names that Assyrians were being named in Iraq at that time, was there also an influx of any Assyrian names? Because the way I've understood it is that any sort of nationalism or sense of nationalism in Iraq, at least during that time, was something that was subdued. And so I'd imagine that that also played into effect with regards to names.
2: You know, um... Iraqi people in general, they're very smart people. I'm talking about all Iraqis. Overall, because the level of education that was given in Iraq was, very, I mean, the most prestigious colleges and universities in Middle East were in, in, in Iraq. You know, uh, there was one that was superior and that was in Egypt, but that was more of a religious. If you want to become head of a of your faith, then you go specially like seminary that you will study and there, graduate from. So... It was given they knew very well at the time especially as i said majority of people were literate they they studied the history they knew the, the history even though they might have not had an opportunity to live uh, around christians or going to school with christians but they knew when you said christians automatically it it's equal to assyrians you see and assyrians there were the, the the forefathers of that country, so they automatically it was given that we are actually foreigners. You know, these are the the original people of this country, the the owners of this country. So they knew that very well. So they expected us. We were two in two ways different than the rest of the country, being Assyrians, obviously as nationality as a nation. And then also as Christians too. So these played major role. But only thing, Assyrian names were obviously strictly used for Assyrians. But when it came to biblical names, very easily we, we used biblical names. But also there were Jews in Iraq. At one time the, in 1935, books are showing that half of Baghdad population, 50%, Baghdad's population 1935 were Jews, but then they started migrating to Israel in 1948 to 1951. So sometimes that would give them a pause. Is this religious name, Is are they Jews or are they Christians? So what happened, this idea came about, that in your ID, regardless of what ID it is, it's official ID or your passport or your school ID, Your religion is mentioned in there. They want you to identify what's your religion. Because treating-wise, they treated people a little bit differently. With us, they always kind of like thought, okay, these are like the owners of this land, you know? I mean, and these are Christians also, and there are Christian superpowers out there. So we better think twice before start to bug these people and bother them. Because they have allies that they very easily can come and, and to the rescue and help them. But then, still deep in their heart, they knew you're, you're not Arab, you're not Muslim. So, discrimination is, was hidden in their hearts and it was discussed amongst themselves. And this was one of the incidences that happened that's, that had to do with my brother, Kirk. Kuryakos, he went to the most prestigious school in in Baghdad. Hekma University was owned and run by Jesuit schools, you know. And he graduated as a a civil engineer. And he he graduated at a time when Iraq was, by golly, going crazy through construction. Constructing roads, bridges, high-rise buildings. They were in dire need for as many civil engineers as they could produce. But they still were short, so they were basically kind of like forced to borrow about 3,000 engineers from Egypt and Pakistan to come and help. And yet, my brother had graduated, and he thought the moment he would go and apply for a job, they will just kind of like snap him from the air and, And because they were needing, and this is one of their own. And imagine yourself graduating from Harvard University. And you put application, any companies like anybody would would, would snatch you and run away with you. But he waited two years for somebody to call him. You know, nobody even bothered to call him. And then you read about in the newspapers, you're listening in the radio and television that, yeah, today 200 engineers arrived from Egypt. So then all of a sudden it's like not even one company called him. So my father had to make a very important decision. And that's where he gathered us and he said, you know, it seems like we are going to be wasting our lives in this country as much as we love this country. And this is our own country. And we've been loyal to our country, but unfortunately the authorities are not able to digest this very well. And I still have four more children in the schools in the pipeline. And if they end up having the same faith as their brother, chances are, then education will be of no benefit at all to them. At that time, you had one of the two choices. Either you had to go to school to avoid joining the army, and then if you go to school and you graduate and nobody gives you any job, then what? And then, okay, I'm gonna enroll in the army, and chances are, because uh, the enrollment in the army meant prolonged wars, seven to 10 years, 15 years, chances are you would be killed in in a a line of uh, duty. And so putting two and two together, a final decision came that, you know what, probably we should think about leaving Iraq. And that's where we started our migration because we are such a big family and some of us were married with children so we had to do it very quietly every 2 3 siblings and their spouses together a little by little and then we ended up coming to united states between uh, end of 1972 and 273 personally i came in 1973
1: the influence of external factors that inspired names of Assyrians during that time is a part of the reason why my late grandfather, Raman Bichamun, published a book in 1978 in Iran titled Al-Pashmahe Aturaye, or A Thousand Assyrian Names. In this next clip, you'll get to hear from my grandmother, Lili Malik, talk about her husband and his patriotic spirit and why he decided to write the book and how they went about disseminating it. She speaks 6 languages, English not being her first, so while she might say a word or two that's off, rest assured you'll still be able to understand her message clearly. The passion in her voice that you're about to hear is what has often fueled my passion from a young age when it came to all things Assyrian. If you ever feel passive about your Assyrian identity, she is the kind of woman who can make you feel otherwise after a single conversation. You'll also get to hear from my mother, Sharikina Koryakos, as she was in her teens when my grandfather produced the book and provides some additional context. Before we get into their interview, I'll quickly read the book's description. As most Assyrians live in diaspora, it is becoming more imperative to protect our identity by using Assyrian names. This book was created and made available to fulfill that need that most Assyrian parents are facing today. These names can be used for people, businesses, or any other purpose that requires an Assyrian identity. The original edition of 2,000 copies of this book was sold out, and we are now making the second edition available to you. We believe that every Assyrian family should have a copy of this book. My sincere thanks to all who demanded the reprint of the book, and congratulations to the newly born Assyrian children that will keep the torch of our nation and our name, Alive. This book is in the Assyrian language. My name is Lili
0: Malik, which I married with this writer, Raman Betchumon, and he was very national person. They came from Urmia, and he was thinking all the time in our nation because he was telling me that I don't like forget my name, my history, My language is very important. Jesus talked with this language. I'm proud with this language. I am an Assyrian. I should have my name. Now my nation, after fell down, and after that, we became Christian. We had very, very important, very nice name. After Christianity, before Christianity. Before Christianity, we have all our great kings of Assyria. We didn't have any book about our name. After I married with my husband, everything he was trying to do to take alive our nation. When my first child born, he put name Sharokina, which is the princess of the justice. In Assyrian meaning, and my second born, it was Atur, which Atur it is dependent to our land, to our nation, to our place in Assyria, Ninwa, and after that, my husband decided to write a book, just very pure Assyrian name, because he doesn't like our nation last, with the history, with the language, with the name. He was talking always, we have three precious things that we can always approve ourselves to other people in the world. And that's why he was very seriously started to work. And many years takes time, under he finish, and I remember all the time he was spending in his office at home. And late night, he was, you know, writing and searching about our past, about national name. And that's for after a few years, it's become finished, And he gives this uh, book to the printer. And they printed this book for the first time. I remember very well, after this book become in our nation, my husband, he had very interest to give this book to our society, Assyrian society first of all, and then gives to the every parents in the church when they were coming in the church. And they gives without any money because he, it was not about the name. Just he wanted to give service to his nation and that's why when this book come out, all the Assyrian family, they took one of these and he sent to our all society, Assyrian society, all over. They show very interesting to buy this book. And after that, I remember that every Assyrian child, when they born from mother, they put the first name they put on these children it was all pure Assyrian name and our people they were very very happy because when this book finished this book went for the second time again because our nation was very happy they find the real name for the children and that's why after that, everybody like opened the eyes. I said, what we are going to put the, uh, the other names in our children, which we have very, very beautiful name in our history, you know. And it is the Assyrian name. Why we are not put this name in our children? And that's why after that, all the Assyrian home, they have very, very nice, pure, Assyrian name from this book. Maybe another writers after this book, they do this kind of the work good for them. Everybody's work for them nation. I said good for them. I love this kind of the people. They worried all the time about the Assyrian nation and they want to do some kind of the nice work for them and keep them going. Name, language, And history, they keep us to be alive. Thank you for sharing all of that.
1: When the book was created, this was sort of the first resource that a lot of Assyrians had with exposure to Assyrian names because prior to that, the ways that they got their names were either from churches depending on the churches that they were a part of whether those were western churches or eastern churches but that was sort of the main that was that was the main way that people would name their children and then this book was created and this was one of the first opportunities that people were exposed to more names that they can think about that were strictly Assyrian. What was his process in collecting the names? Like, What resources did he draw from?
3: I know he went through a lot of books and a dictionary, the Martuma Odu Dictionary. He tried to choose nouns as names. He tried to avoid using like kings' names because we already had books around that. So Martuma Odu
1: Dictionary was one of his main resources when he was looking for names. Yes,
3: yes. And I know he he he, he had a library full of books that he was going through him, and chose a lot of names, about thousand something names. And I know that when he finished it, he was sending boxes and boxes to churches. Uh, so when they baptize the kids, they can name him. Also... There were a lot of businesses that they wanted to have Assyrian names. Like Uh, as their business name. uh, Yeah, as their business name. They used it. Some people use them for middle names. Some people use them for their last names. They change their last names
1: and put the Assyrian last names. Actually, that reminds me. So Papa Kahlo, my my grandfather, was born with the name Kalo.
3: No, Clarence.
1: Clarence. Mm -hmm. Clarence. But he later changed it to Roman.
3: Uh, hmm. Actually, um, he was born Clarence, and that's what his um mother named him because uh, she had she was a member of a Presbyterian Church, and they were adopting those uh, English names and they were choosing them for their kids. He's and he never liked it. He always was mad about this, and he was very patriotic. So his distant cousin, Robbie Beniamin Ersanus, saw that patriotic thoughts in him and. He gave him the name Raman. So he used that as the pen name. So all his books has his name, but he was born Clarence. And for short, they called him Callow. So he kind of adopted the name Roman, even though it wasn't an official thing. You yeah. know, he wanted an no. Assyrian name. Yeah, he, he always wanted an Assyrian name. He always blamed his mother for putting English name on him. Of course, as his daughter, he named me. Um, I was his firstborn. He named me Sharokina. As far as I know, before me, nobody had that name. No. And then after people heard that, they loved it, and they start putting uh, the name Sharokina
1: on their kids. So when the book came out, more, well, when you were born, and then when the book came out, since the name was in the book, more and more people became familiar with the name. They liked it. They wanted to put that for their daughter Yeah. around the world. Yeah. Okay, was there any discrimination or disincentive for people to name their children Assyrian names in Iran during that time?
3: Uh, during my time, no. There was no problem.
1: So 60s, 70s? Um,
3: maybe before us, because um, it was a different era. Maybe, maybe because lots of people I know, they were forced to change their names or their last names just to have a job. In Shah's time, Shah of Iran, King of Iran... We didn't have any discrimination. No. No. But before that, uh, people were more fanatic. So when they hear uh, like foreign names, they wouldn't give jobs to people. So
1: lots of our people were forced to use other names. They could go and get jobs freely. It didn't matter what their first name was, last name was. There was no, no. sort of discrimination. No. Okay, so As far there was... as
3: I know, no. No. Uh, and
1: that time I I, I never heard. Okay.
3: Of course, the people that were discriminated against their names, they would go on. Um, they would have their own uh, companies, or they would do independent
1: uh, okay. uh, work. So. So they can uh, be their own boss yeah. and not have to worry about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So there really was no disincentive for people to not name their children Assyrian names unless they personally just didn't want to name them. This job, yes, that well, job,
3: you know, it's something personal. It's you a personal choice. You
1: cannot force people.
3: It's something that if they like, they can
1: do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so the book is written in the Assyrian language. Are there any plans on changing that? Let's say to English or like an Assyrian to English to make it more accessible to people, or what's the, what's the idea?
3: Well, during his time, he refused to write it in any other language, because he said. All our children should learn our language, and they should read this book in their language. Because if I write it in English, then there will be no motivation for them to learn Syrian. Mm -hmm. So he refused, and he never wanted it. And also, he said it's very hard to put it in English because the spellings are different, Mm -hmm. and every person is going to spell it differently. Of course, there's books that was uh, rewritten taken from him or other places they put it in english which is fine but he personally refused so if you are interested you can get the book from lulu.com and then take it to somebody who reads assyrian and he can go over the names with you people find it very interesting the book as my mother said it went to second print so i hope every house have one of these we donated a lot of them to churches so you can buy them from uh, your church's gift store yeah in the clubs some of them yeah now we made it publicly so people who live in countries that they don't have any churches or uh, they're far from the churches or clubs uh, to have online access to it you mean through lulu.com? Through lulu.com. We were thinking maybe um, we'll just upload it so people just can print it and have it at home.
1: Now we're going to move into the virtual space where we'll hear from founders who have made it part of their mission to make Assyrian names free and accessible to all via the internet. I'm not sure how I came across Brikha.net a few years ago, but I'm so glad I did. It was the first Assyrian name online database I had come across, built around 2018, making it even more accessible for people to find Assyrian names. I reached out to the founder, Ninos Hosaya, who is based out of Melbourne, Australia where he runs a web design and digital marketing business. He was traveling to Northern Iraq when I had contacted him, so I had him record voice memos and send them my way. So Ninas, thank you, I appreciate your flexibility.
4: I've always been fascinated by our culture and history. Uh, We have unique and beautiful names, but there wasn't really a comprehensive resource that gathered all of them in one place. So I decided to create Brigha.net as a way to provide a centralized platform for ASEAN baby names, complete with meanings, uh, pronunciations, and other information. I wanted to create something that would not only uh, be helpful for parents looking for names, but also as a way to preserve and promote our heritage for future generations. The majority of the name collecting process was done by my uncles, Majid and Caesar Hosea, who are both very knowledgeable about our culture and history. They had been compiling a list of Assyrian names and their meanings for years and and had amassed a large collection of names that were not easily accessible in one place. So when I decided to create the app and the website, I worked with them to gather all the information they had collected and sort them into databases that could easily be searched and browsed by users on an interface.
1: Something that Nino said to me, which I love is, my business has been instrumental in helping me create and to maintain Brija.net as a self-funded project. He thanks his dad for being his inspiration and motivation and says that he instilled in me a deep love and appreciation for our culture, history, language, and inspired me to give back to our community as a way to preserve and promote it. One note, Ninos informed me that he is redesigning the website and app and the redesign will be ready in a couple of months. Meanwhile, you can still access the website anytime at www.briha.net. Now we'll get to hear about another online resource for Assyrian names. In 2020, Bitkanu, the organization my daughter can't get enough of, whose mission is to build a foundation to advance the endangered Surat or Surait dialects of the Syriac language, created another fantastic online database around Assyrian names, names names.bitkanu.com. I had a chance to speak with Marianita Samuel, who is a part of the Bitcano board and is based in Chicago, Illinois.
5: So, so as a Bitcano member and board member and language committee member, this is part of one of our efforts in helping to preserve the Syriac language and culture. And it's one of our projects that was inspired by a book. Titled Nu'at uh, Shimhe, insert which translates to The Spring of Names, co authored by Reverend Emmanuel Yohanna and Aromel Shimshun Samuel. It was published in Iraq. It's a book that was created with a collection of beautiful, unique Assyrian names for both boys and girls and categorized alphabetically and separated by gender with transliteration uh, and their meaning so we were inspired and it is one of the resources that we used for our database when we created it by this work
1: wonderful and Maganita, do you know when that book was published
5: we used the third edition which was published in 2010 but we do have an older edition that we have in our uh, library at home that's been passed to relatives and friends that always ask for inspirations or suggestions for Assyrian names. So it's been passed and borrowed and returned within our family.
1: Wonderful. What a great resource. So you had mentioned that that was a part of the resource that you used. That was actually going to be my que- next question was, how did Bitcana go about collecting the names in the database? So was that the main uh, source used in terms of adding in the data?
5: Yes. So uh, we had two sources. That was one of the main ones. The other one is names from Assyrian Syriac Tradition, written by Dr. Abraham Lahdo and presented by Father Joseph Shabo. That's the, our second source. And the way we approached this project, other than writing the proposal, initial proposal for the board and our sponsor, we asked permission from the authors of the book to use their work as a resource within our database. So we built on what they had and tried to modernize what they had in the book to allow it to be used to parents, to be Assyrians all around the world, and more accessible. So it's not just a book that you can store in the library, but you can access this database anywhere you have internet. So the process for creating this database had many components. First, it was compiling the resources into a master list, uh, reviewing and revising it by the language committee or the people that reviewed it, creating the database and the web development aspect of it so that you can access it online. Design and marketing, coming up with a name, because like all names that are we come up with, we have a list. And testing out the website and making changes to it as necessary uh, from the feedback that we receive. So those were like the steps that we went through and we will continue uh, to develop this database. It's something that we can build on. There's even a section in the website for website visitors to make their own suggestions of to be considered to be added to the database.
1: Of all the beautiful names that we have,
5: yes and it's a great way to start conversations with even your parents for me when i was born i was born during ninway. so one of the names that my mom considered before she gave me marganita was ninway because it was during that time of rogation of ninway the nanovites that i was born but then my uncle suggested marganita because my grandmother Had passed, so that he wanted to like honor her by naming me that. So that's how I got my name. For listeners
1: that might not be familiar with the meaning of Marganita, what is the meaning of Marganita?
5: Uh, Marganita means pearl in Assyrian.
1: Is there anything else that you want listeners to know when it comes to uh, this resource from Bitcano?
5: Yes, I encourage uh, parents or to be. To check it out, they can go to names.betkanu.com. It is very easily used. It's alphabetized. It has the names both in the Eastern Syriac font and the Western Syriac font. So both the surate and the surate font is used on there. We try to encompass names from both dialects. It is categorized into many categories and... You can also filter it by gender and alphabetize. And then you can also share, put into a list what you like, share with a loved ones, or just keep a track of what names stand out to you.
1: One interesting observation is that the two books Maganita referenced, one was published in Iraq and the other in Syria, and my grandfather's book was published in Iran. So I think that's pretty cool and speaks to the representation of our people. Marganita also mentioned Romel Shimshun Samuel, who wrote one of the books referenced. Fun fact that so happens to be her father. BitCanu has plans to launch an app for the database this year. In the meantime, you can enjoy searching through the vast database by going to names.bitcanu.com. I also later found out about another free online resource by Michael Yonan titled Assyrian Historical Names for Male and Female. It was too late for me to interview him but I did want to mention that resource as well in which I'll be linking that resource as well as all of the other resources in the episode show notes. I want to close with the splicing of all the interviewees answering the question of why are Assyrian names important and why should there be an effort to preserve them by giving children Assyrian names.
3: Um, I think it gives us a identity, identity and also in future their uh, great-grandchildren can look back and know where they came from, where uh, the origin of their roots are. It keeps us closer to our people, I think. Mamalu, why do you think
0: having want...
1: people name their children as yes, their sir, names think... is important?
0: It is very, very important. Because our children, if you don't give them knowledge, they don't know nothing about themselves. We should choose a way to teach them, to learn, to talk with them. They should know where they are coming from. Who is their background? Who was this great king in the earth, you know? Who gives you this culture, this science, this medicine? It should be from the first day through the Assyrian knowledge.
4: While well, they serve as a means of identification and can also carry cultural and historical significance. In case of our Assyrian names, they serve as a link to our roots. By giving our children Assyrian names, we are passing it down to future generations. Our names are rich in meaning, they can tell stories about our history, our mythology, and traditions, Uh, And I believe are an important way to keep our culture alive. In addition, giving children Assyrian names can also be a way to connect them to their cultural identity and help them develop a sense of pride and belonging. By embracing our heritage and uh, passing it down to our children, we are helping to ensure that they will continue to be celebrated and appreciated for generations to come.
5: The same way that the authors of the books that we use as resources thought of the names as a source, uh, a link to Assyrian identity, a way to identify a person that is part of the Assyrian community. For me, uh, the Assyrian name that I have, Maraganeeta, has always been a conversation starter for me. People that have encountered me for the first time ask me how to pronounce my name, what its meaning is what language it is. And it it develops into a conversation started about my identity, my culture, my history, if they're not already aware about Assyrian
2: history, culture, and language. We don't have country. We don't have a power. We are dispersed all over. I think last thing that I read, Assyrians are in 43 countries. And most importantly, the roots of our nation are almost dwindling to only little in the in Middle East. When I was in Iran in 2015, I asked the Honorable Yunatan Bitkulia, or Assyrian parliament representative, how many Assyrians are left in Iran? He says, between you and I, we're lucky if we have 5,000 left. And since then, and this was about eight years ago, I'm sure a lot of have left, and Armenians even more. In Iraq, the same way, especially after ISIS, that expedited the exit of a lot of Assyrians. So something... In the name, name is really is sense of identity. Right now, Armenians they went through this crisis before us, and they decided, well, we're gonna modify our names. No matter what your name is, Ian put Torlen. Anybody that can hear or read this, Ian, they know automatically you have some connection to Armenia. Okay.
1: I A N as the I- suffix.
2: Yeah, suffix. Jews also have certain names that are unique to them, again for man, Berg, so you could tell a lot of names are Jews, Jews names, even though some of them were disguised under different identity so they could find jobs. Uh, so anyways, there was a very nice uh, movement initiated by AUA, Assyrian Universal Alliance at the, at the time. Let's put BET, before the last name of the family. Bet is short for beta, which is home or house of, you know. So it would be uh, Peter, Bet, Koryakos. So that automatically, we would be the only nation that would use this one. So initially, a lot of people were excited about it. And then, as always, somebody will come in with with a big knife and chop that idea. So uh, to me, it would be really nice to know if you say Peter Kuriakos, Kuriakos could be anything, could be Greek. Most people, almost if not all people that are non assyrian they think that I'm, I'm uh, Greek. And if you are Syriac, Jacobites is one of the most well-known saints in the church. Uh, Mark is, is is very well-known, you know. Uh, so, I mean, how can you make a distinction between if I'm Assyrian versus if I'm Greek. But if I say Adessa, Adessa is only, Edessa is precious and, and important to Assyrian people. So automatically you put two and two together, you'll say, okay, that is Assyrian. It's Just a matter of, of, of I'm coming across a movie or a book. If I see any smell of Assyrian name in it, automatically it will give me pride. It will give me a sense of kind of like feeling that we're not disintegrating. We're just, we're, we're still alive. We're living. As a Christian, you know, it's not going to help us a lot, to be honest with you. Christians, I mean, there's like more than, what, two billion Christians around. Christians are Christians. But we are Assyrians. So nationality makes a lot of difference. Otherwise, Europe is all Christians, right? Why did they put these, all the borders and separations between the country? Because they are separate entities. We're not asking for too much. We're not too big of a number. Obviously, over 2,600 years of the collapse of Assyria, a lot of us were forced into become Muslims and a lot of lives were lost in the wars and during immigrations and on and on and on. With the help of the internet, reaching out to the world, very easily we can consolidate our power especially the burden is on you and your generation to take advantage of of this technology to strengthen your alliance together and come up with anything that will symbolize that we are a live nation we are people that we are proud of our backgrounds and we have not forgotten our backgrounds.
1: thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that that was insightful. I hope that this episode can offer resources to you or somebody that you know who is interested or maybe interested in naming uh, their children or business or nephew or niece, whatever it is an Syrian name. If you like what we're doing, please share it out to those that are in your network. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it and we'll see you next week.